I think I'd start by saying never give up on them. And there's some multifaceted, I think, pieces that connect to that. Never give up on them, I'd say first. You have far more responsibility than you do power as an administrator. So you need to check yourself and remember that you're as much a human being as they are. And they need people to fight, advocate, and believe in them and their processes. Chris Jones here and welcome to Seeing to Lead, a show designed to help leaders increase their ability to effectively support, engage, and empower their staff through intentional practices so that they create an environment where everyone reaches their greatest level of success. On Seeing to Lead, communication rules the day as we hear voices from both teachers and leaders in an effort to examine perspectives, highlight misunderstandings, and provide steps to ultimately bridge the gap between what teachers need and provide through thought dialogue. This show is about amplifying voices, creating understanding, and providing information to help everyone continually improve. I want to personally thank you for taking the time. Now, let's get to getting better. Matthew Bowerman has served in education and the arts for over 25 years. He's the recipient of Emmy and Cine Film Awards for his educational short film, Bus Stop, addressing the bullying crisis in the United States. Matthew's invested in the work of love-leading students and their families in his current role as an assistant principal in Montgomery County Public Schools in Maryland. He's currently working on his upcoming book, Heart Leader, released through Codebreaker, Inc. And after that bio, what I really want to start out with, first off, I want to start out with a welcome, Matt. So thanks for coming on the podcast. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me, having me here today, Chris. I appreciate it. Oh, no problem. And uh, the the thing I really want to start off with is this whole idea of love leading. And you're coming out with this book, Heart Leader. Typically, we hear things like that. and We talk about love leading with students and so forth with teachers. But being a principal-centered kind of guy or a teacher-centered kind of principal, I'm interested always in how to improve supporting, engaging, and empowering teachers. So I'd love to hear about this love leading concept and your new upcoming book, Heart Leader. Absolutely. Heart Leader is a concept I kind of came up with. I've always been that kind of um, heart on his sleeve kind of kind of man. And frequently throughout my work in education, people were very open with me about, you know, oh, you always kind of wear your heart on your sleeve when you're working with students. And you always kind of put these concepts out there about loving them. And uh, just the messaging is always really focused on uh, empathetic, compassionate approaches to working with children academically and then in social emotional circles. And over the last four years or so in my, in my leadership work, I really started to take a lot of notes from other mentors and colleagues that I felt were really leading in that direction, who really had a clear defined sense of, of love as kind of the, the circumference from which they reached out and created impact, reached out and created connection, reached out and created communication with their entire school community. And so in all that note-taking and all those and all those thoughts about what I was observing in the work and those positive impacts it was having on people, I realized that the key impacts were really people feeling like they were valued, really feeling like they had worth with regards to feedback to the school, with regards to contact and, and, and connection and that the relationships were really proving to be sustainable, were really proving to be very personal in, in many ways. And I kept on saying, that's what I need. 
That's what I want. You know, I'm transitioning from teacher to administrator. I've always believed in this kind of work. I've always fought for it, advocated for it, and tried to live it myself. But as an administrator with a whole new set of um, responsibilities, skills under my belt, and, and, and opportunities to connect, that was the real direction I really wanted to shape in terms of how I was going to move as a leader, what I wanted to communicate to my school staff, my students, my parents. And so the book was really born of that whole, I guess, process that you know, I, I am the heart leader and the book, obviously it's titled that as well. And it's really about compassionate love led approaches to everything from parent support, parent engagement, parent onboarding, as well as student support and student connection and engagement. And then staff as well, prioritizing staff, taking care of them, wellness, social, emotional, evaluative feedback. I just feel like I think at the, at the heart of it, the kind of play off the pun, that the the core idea of caring about other people and driving all of my leadership work from that deep sense of caring about them, in, in essence, kind of quote unquote, loving them, impacts all of those areas, staff, students, families, caregivers, in, in really lasting ways, where they begin to not only see you as, you know, as an administrator in school, but really as a person that has a deep vested stake in them, that really has an interest in building something with them, not just like three years in middle school or five years in elementary or, you know, four years in high, but really trying to build something, a long kind of long-term lasting partnership relationship built on mutual trust, respect, um, and, and at the center of it, love. And so that's where I've really tried to try to find myself and, and kind of be that person for the, you know, not just for the moment, but for the continuing evolution of this heart leading work. You know, because I mean, at, at the end of it, and, and you know this too, I'm sure, and, and so many educators do, there's such a culture of, of assessment and over-assessment, internal and external measures that, that like test the love out of things. Much like if you have a great book and it's picked apart to every single degree that, that the love for the story and the characters and all that just falls apart, you lose the power behind the reading sometimes. Not, not always, but some, you know, that, that happens frequently if you deconstruct every single solitary sentence and idea. So, you know, in the, in the same way, um, I'm trying to make sure that, that we're building something that's, you know, that's really lasting around these relationships and, and noticing and observing that, when we get into this over-testing, when we get into this place where everything is guided by, by grades or assessments, that we forget the core factor of everything, which are our people, our children first, of course, as our priority, but our people, our staff, our families, and that, that is the focus point, that they're the priority. We wake up with them first every day and lead from there in this, in this kind of love-led you know, perspective or approach. That's fantastic. I, and not to overuse the word, but I love the way you explain that because oftentimes, you know, people are, people are concerned about using the word love because it's got, it's got all kinds of connotations with it and, and things that we think about from prior experiences. As a leader in a school, it's key, it's critical for a leader to love his staff or her staff um, and the people that make it happen every single day. But one of the things I hear when I talk about teacher-centered leadership, I hear that people are concerned, the idea, well, everything is just done nice and easy, and it's an easy thing to do with teachers. But I don't get the sense that you're talking about that. You're talking about building a lasting thing. So 
So what does that look like when you have to maybe have difficult conversations or difficult interactions with people? I appreciate that. I think, you know, to your, to your point where I just making a moment ago, there's this whole concept of love as a, you know, is that really practical, you know, in theory or practice? And so I've really tried in the book and in, and in my work really to operationalize it. There's the philo- philosophical, you know, I'm an idealist, I'm a romantic idealist. So there's that idealist, philosophical, great, you know, bum, 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 kind of conceptual drive about being a heart leader and leading, leading with love and letting, and letting that um, guide my, my say and my do every day. But there's just also, yes, there's all kinds of practical strategies, practical tools, practical resources, you know, embedded in these concepts of love leading that are also equally um, appropriate and, ap- and applicable to, to this work. And so to your, to your question, Teachers, um, and having been one for 18, 19 years, teachers are taxed with just a tremendous amount of weight, not only from everything from testing and measurement, data collection, monitoring, new curriculums, transitioning between curriculums, grade levels, but this whole other massive amount of social-emotional responsibility um, for children as their stewards, about protecting them every day, safeguarding them, about identifying children in crisis, children in need, um, children below in grade levels, trying to collect you know, data, observational, anecdotal, or formal on all of these different things going on with children. And then above that, doing that same kind of work or trying to in terms of connection with parents, make, maintaining sources of contact with them about grades or about concerns um, with the child. Um, And then on top of that, this massive amount of, we just aren't doing enough yet. And I don't mean like my school or or Maryland or or any certain state, but just in in general, we're just not doing enough yet to really take care of teachers in terms of their wellness. You know, the pandemics of COVID and the pandemics of racism that have really, you know, in the last two years sparked so many different fires have exposed so many different areas that teachers are kind of raising their hands up to the sky and crying out for help, for support, not because they don't have the skills and the passion um, and the heart to drive them forward in successful ways, but because they need additional new tools, new professional development, new, new space and time to like unburden themselves with all that they're going through. As much as we're trying to triage, you know, parents and families, teachers need that triage time from us too, and the resources to help keep them healthy and and happy and and, and thriving. And so there are a lot of conversations that come up that are challenging. Um, It could be, and it has been, conversation around a person, you know, working with a staff member who's lost a family member to COVID. It could be a conversation around underperformance that's been observed and trying to help coach them to a higher level of capacity building. It could be, you know, um, issues around Zoom practices and how they are navigating dialogue, their language, not being love language yet. With children, it comes across maybe abrasive or jagged because they're wrestling with their own, um, you know, things going on on the other side of that, of that computer screen on the, or on the other side of that classroom when they go home every day. And so I have found for myself that front-loading all of that, knowing those conversations should happen, must happen in terms of helping guide people to better versions of themselves, just as much as I'm trying to do that for myself every day, that you have to start with caring about them. 
and letting them know from the very beginning what your core values are, where you're leading from, and where your goals are for leading that school. And then having that conversation, those consistent conversations with staff about buy-in around those philosophies and around the use of those tools in the school helps you when you have to embed yourself in an office, a classroom, you know, wherever it might be with a staff member to say, talk to me, what's going on? Let me just listen. And then I, that's what I do. I sit back and listen. I've been given a lot of great guidance from a lot of amazing, you know, educators about, you know, ask six questions, ask five questions before you ever utter one declarative statement. Um, our former superintendent of schools, Dr. Jack Smith would tell us, you know, always ask um, six questions before you ever utter one declarative statement. So, Typically, you know, I will ask questions that are open just to hear them talk, just to listen to them perceive and process and kind of open up about what's going on. Or I'll just sit there and be present in the silence and stillness. Sometimes I'm okay to be there to say, I'm here for you. What, where are we right now? Based on the issue of its underperformance, I always tell teachers, if we're in a formal evaluation observation and it's just now that I'm talking about concerns maybe I have or things I've seen. I haven't done my job, not even close. I should have been long ago informally visiting, checking in, dropping all kinds of positive feedback, suggestions for improvement, getting a reading specialist, math contents coach, um, team leaders involved in other parts of helping to mentor you to better places um, in your work so that those conversations are, are very different. But when they happen, and of course they happen, I try to recognize what it's like to have been in those places, to have made many mistakes as a teacher and, and had many beautiful moments too. But all of this is so constantly evolving in terms of trying to be the best teacher they can be in a very difficult and challenging world that I try to approach it that way and really come at it first with listening to where they are, what they might be struggling with, what they perceived about what I have shared with them in terms of um, observation feedback or what I had heard in a, in a lesson or what other supports they might need from me from like an employee assistance, you know, personnel matter, if it's something, you know, that's very staggering in terms of weight outside the school. And I just show up. I just make myself present. I listen. I offer suggestions if they're, if they're asked for. I provide some of the framework around, you know, county district policies or procedures that might be helpful in leading the conversation or helping frame their next moves. And then I try to continuously follow up. If it's something of a high emergent nature, I try to stay right there with them. I might go and visit them. I might, I've gone, you know, to their family funerals when, when offered or go to the house to provide something for them or just call, you know, off school time, emails, texts, of course, all those simple types of things that I'm sure so many of us do, but it's just that constant showing up saying, I've got you, I've got you, whatever's going on right now, it's going to be okay. I trust you. I hired you knowing that you're here to do the very, very best job for kids. That's what my expectation. Here's how we frame that experience moving forward in terms of what we need from you. Here are things I can offer to support you here where I might have some questions or concerns. Here are other supports I can deploy to help you move it forward. And here's how I'm going to keep showing up with you long-term to monitor this, to make sure I'm supporting the efficacy of my decisions and our conversations to know what's working and what's not. So you know at every step of the way, I'm not there like even though I'm in evaluative capacity. Yeah, we get that. Let's move past that. I'm the heart leader who's showing up because I care just as much about your heart as I do about my own and the moves I'm making. So how can we continue to help build you? And then sometimes there are conversations at the end of that that this isn't the right fit for me. Okay, where can I help coach you or guide you to have a better, more successful, more happy journey 
beyond the classroom or in some other role in schools? Or what else do we need to do to get you some kind of long-term care that you need? Or there's long-term leave or family medical leave going on or other things like that. I, I get, I'm, I'm sure like you and so many others, we get challenged by so many of those things all the time. And I, I keep on trying to make sure that what I have to prioritize there are my people, listening to them, connecting with them, reminding them and sharing with them that that's what I'm about, the connection moment, and then how I can let that ripple out across the landscape of whatever the issue is in order to let them know I'm not going to let them go. And I'm here to, to love, to support, to guide, to nurture, to, to challenge, and, 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 and help them find a way through it. Because I, you know, I think at, at the end of all this, we all need that. Every single one of us need to know that there are people there, not only in our personal lives, but in our professional lives, who are going to step up with us. We're just going to be there knee deep with us in it and let us know it's going to be okay. And when it's not, there are people there to love them and take care of them and help guide them. Wow. It's about all I have to say. Look, look, if that's what love leading is about, sign me up. <laughs> I mean, you just gave anybody listening to this now has a, a great outline about what le- love leading entails and being a heart leader entails and basically just got a, a quick masterclass lesson on how to take care of their staff. You said so much there that's got me thinking about so many things. Um, if I could, If I could just hit on a couple of them, that would be great. And then, cause then I have an overarching thing for it, but um, the whole idea of showing up being present and you talked about silence and how important it reminds me of how important it is to use silence to continue the story. That's, that's a great conversational tool and it's a great tool to let people know or let teachers know that they're in a safe environment because you're not judging them. You're not, you're not jumping in. You don't have your, your um, mind made up. And I, I forget the, the individual's name. Was it Dr. Jackson? Who was your superintendent that said, ask six questions before making a declarative statement? Um, our for, former superintendent, he just um, finished up his tenure this, this year, this past school year, um, Dr. Jack Smith. Yeah, shout, um, shout ask, out to him. Yes, yes. <laughs> Great guy. Uh, always ask six questions before you utter one declarative statement. That's, that's a fantastic piece of advice. I, and you, you painted such a clear picture, especially in times of COVID, with teachers have those hands outstretched looking for help. And I just kept thinking about, you know, how can we help those individuals? And I thought that all this year, but I also thought about when you're talking about, we don't know what's going on on the other side of that computer screen or or in people's lives. And one of the things that happened during COVID this year, I, I don't know if I want to call it a phenomenon, but a lot of times this was brought up to me by one of my department chairs at my school. A lot of times we don't know what's going on in the person's life, even if they're in our own department or we're working side by side with them because people can compartmentalize. I mean, a lot of times if you do this, um, and this was an observation he made, if you, if you do this for so long, you have, you have the ability to get out of bed, open up a lesson plan, teach, and put what's going on at home away for the day or for the period. And that's not to say you're mailing it and not doing a good job or in a negative way. It's just that you have the ability to do that. You've built that up as a teacher in the classroom and as an administrator after a while. But with COVID and with so much new, that became much more difficult to do and many people couldn't do it. So colleagues were finding out about their, their friends' lives at home that they didn't know about, things that they didn't know about, struggles that they were having, whether it, you know, whether it was a problem with their kid, a problem with their spouse, or something going on in the house, whatever, you name it. They were finding out about these things so it became difficult because there was no longer compartmentalizing. You know, there's that leakage aspect, which 
which brings me to the whole overarching thing I wanted to ask um, as you went. Loving is oftentimes very hard, but incredibly rewarding based on other people's actions. Can you think of any times when it has been hard or it, it was hard and how a leader can stay in that mind frame to help them succeed at being a heart leader? Well, I think you, know, you mentioned the compartmentalizing effect. And I think teachers you know, are incredibly resilient because of all that they have to master and, and, and all the different plates in the air spinning and you know, the juggling and you know, all of those things and wearing all the hats. They're so resilient and have to be, but we're all human and, and deeply fallible. I know I am especially fallible. And so I think in considering those types of things, I reference my own. So during the pandemic, for example, um, my brother unexpectedly died, my youngest brother. I'm sorry to hear that. Thank you. I appreciate that. And then, and then along with that, uh, two of my, my immediate cousins also took their lives with families and everything. And then I had a multitude of artists that I have worked with in my other profession who were very sick and, and died as well. And it was just this wave of, of calamity amidst all the miraculous things that people were doing, you know, on screens and classrooms, helping, helping students and families and things like that. And still the work had to continue and still the work had to go on and still we have to show up and, and love lead and smile and push forward and, and go and meet with other families who are also experiencing great tragedy, homelessness, poverty, trauma, you know, whatever it might be. And, and for me, I had read a quote once like, that you never run away from the fire because you miss the opportunity to be forged by it. And so I always try to lean in, but you can still be burned. You can still be singed by, by those flames. And so there's this kind of you know, duality to like wanting to press into situations despite all these like things that are going on. And yet you have to be careful too, because you can be cut by the same edge of that in, of your intention. And so, you know, I, I, I tell other or share with other colleagues of mine who we have conversations around some of this work. One piece is to have a, you know, as Dr. Uh, Matthew X. Joseph says in Power of Connections, he talks about, you know, the PLN, the Professional Learning Network, and how that is so critical to your, to your success and your social-emotional wellness for so many reasons. But, you know, the, the cohort, the grade level you work with, a, a professional learning community, um, to have space and colleagues that you can work with, interact with, interface with, bounce ideas also, cry with, rage with, that you have a group who understands what you're going through and what this work is about is one tool that I have found extremely helpful in, in all of these processes to get through and then rise above when faced with all of these different types of things that we're going through. Of course, a second one is, you know, people have everything from faith and religion and hobbies or things like that, but things outside of their teaching, their leadership work that also bring them purpose and help them, you know, define and shape their lives in other ways that give, give depth and meaning to them. Those are often places I think people can access when they're experiencing so much, you know, difficulty or, or, or challenge for themselves. You know, from a, from a philosophical uh, standpoint, I just also have recommended to people 
simple acts sometimes too to take a step back from what they're doing in those moments. It could be something as simple as some mindfulness work. And of course, that that terminology sometimes sets people's teeth on edge. Other people find great freedom and relief and release from it. But just the idea of taking a moment back when that school bell rings and using that as kind of the intoning bell moment, knowing like, oh, when the bell rings, I've got to go do this or that, go to this meeting, go to this. Instead, I'm going to take a moment, take a very deep breath, breathe out on three, five, 10, whatever it might be, really acknowledge where I am in this moment, what I'm feeling in this moment, breathe it in, let it go, reset myself for a moment, and then step into that next moment. Another thing along those same lines, if you're at a school, in the school, is going somewhere in the building or outside the building where there's tremendous joy taking place. Of course, one of those places is the playground. I find, and I did find when I was working through internally some of the pieces around my brother and his passing, I went and spent time playing with the kids on the playground. They were excited for me to be there, and I was excited to climb and jump and run and play and tag and hide and do all those things, you know, once we, once we returned, you know, back into those spaces and kind of reinvigorated some elements of my spirit of, of, of the child in me that were kind of, uh, I think, hiding behind closed doors as a way to deal with some of that, of that tragedy that had happened. Um, so those are, those are some things I might, I might suggest. Um, and of course, I'd be happy at any point, you know, in this kind of format, face-to-face or on Zoom or email or whatever to talk to anybody about navigating any questions or challenges they have because, uh, again, we have to look out for each other. That's, that's excellent. Um, with, a, with a really strong undertone of find support and embrace joy is what I took from your message there, wherever you may be able to find it. You know, you mentioned PLN and oftentimes PLN is associated with a certain thing. What, I, what I'd like to do really quick is hear from our sponsors and then come back and dig into that a little more and then, uh, and then move forward in the podcast. So we'll, uh, we'll be right back after these few words. Today's podcast is brought to you by the Better Leaders, Better Schools Mastermind. The Mastermind is built on the ABCs of powerful professional development, authenticity, belonging, and challenge. With all three components, leaders experience transformation in their personal and professional lives. Personally, I've been a member of the Mastermind for years, and it's transformed my leadership by teaching me how to challenge the status quo and honor my personal vision for what leadership should be. Join me and other leaders from around the world in the mastermind. You can apply today at betterleadersbetterschools.com forward slash mastermind. I use Anchor to distribute the Seeing to Lead podcast because I find it to be the best tool to suit my busy schedule. Anchor has everything I need all in one place, offers hands-free distribution to everywhere podcasts are heard, and is free to use. I can use anywhere from some to all of its features based on what I need at the time. On top of all that, you can be mobile, recording, editing, and distributing all right from your phone. You can also easily make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So go download the Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started today. All right, and we're back with Matthew and we were... We were talking about ways um, or strategies or tools that leaders can use to stay in that heart leader frame of mind. And, and one of the things you mentioned, Matthew, was the PLN. And I find that oftentimes when we talk about PLNs, I've actually heard, believe it or not, I've heard 
leaders get into arguments about what's an actual PLN or what isn't because a group of people weren't doing the specific thing. All too often, we get caught up in the idea of it has to be about data. It has to be about analyzing student performance. And while that's incredibly valuable, don't get me wrong, that is a PLN for grade level groups and things like that. It seemed to me that the PLN you were talking about where people can be ecstatic, they can be joyful, they can rage if they want, and they have that group of support that kind of understands where they're coming from is more like what you were talking about. So I'm curious, do you have any go-to ways to find out where that group is for somebody or how they decide that that's the group they can do that in? Certainly. So absolutely. There's, you know, the PLN that you referenced certainly has great value for a, a school administrator or anybody in leadership roles of any type within the school in terms of analyzing trends and, and, and performance data in order, in order to, to drive, you know, instructional decisions moving forward. And I think those, of course, have great value within the school in a leader's, you know, role as, a, as an instructional coach. What I was referencing that you also hit on is PLN for me in this context, what I was talking about in answering the other question is the word network also, which translates for me to the word community, a kind of, you know, if you see it like, like a web network, a community, there's this central piece, the central hub that is, you know, the role. So if it's like school administrators and their needs, then like in my case, for example, one of my professional learning network communities are a whole series of my assistant principal cohort colleagues that we came into leadership together. Um, there's about 24 of us, and we are on an app together and are constantly asking questions about everything from pedagogy to curriculum and instruction to policies to just chatting about things going on in our lives, sending pictures to one another, might be vacations, babies born, new appointments from, from people, just constant conversation around wrapping our lives around each other and have become extremely, extremely close, extremely close colleagues and, and friends and family members. That is, that is one piece that's been very, very powerful um, for me. Another version of that is a mentorship network or community. Um, I took on in the last year and a half um, being an, an administrative mentor for another brand new um, administrator and and guide you know guided them through all their performance kind of signposts and we would meet weekly and monthly to just talk about life and family and the work and that connected me on a on a kind of a, a duet tandem experience that also plugged us into some other mentors and I made sure in conversation with him to also reinforce with him his his cohort of his leaders which he was also plugged into considerably but that allowed us to have another whole facet uh, of of kind of peer sharing and at times commiserating and celebrating. And we just wrapped up his leadership training experience and I had dinner with his family and we spent the evening playing with his kids. And, you know, it was just um, a very rewarding circle closing of the loop to like show all that can be built when you really invest in other people. Another version of that is like what I have found, like what, what, with what you and I are doing right now, developing uh, a relationship, a friendship through being able to share ideas with each other that came about from um, the, the Twitter platform. You know, there's so many 
amazing, phenomenal human beings out there in our education field offering work, ideas, resources, and support, and reaching out to various people. They just start flooding in. Hey, I'm here to help you. I'm here, et cetera. Someone posted today about, hey, who's out there who's willing to um, be uh, uh, someone to give advice to first-year teachers? Let me know and send me a DM. I wrote, I'm in. You know, any chance there is, and so that starts to develop a whole other conversation. It's a little at first a little general, of course, because you're, you know, lots of random people you're, you're engaging with that you're just learning to meet and just, but it starts to build capacities for you in terms of like larger social networking, social, larger social media presence, larger work and connectivity on a global scale, which to me can only benefit your kids that you're serving in your communities. The more connected you are, the more you understand connection, the more ideas you're getting from people and discussing, the more you're identifying your areas of growth and reaching out to people for suggestions at a micro or macro level is only going to increase, you know, who you are in your leadership work. And to me, that only benefits students and families in, in positive ways. So those, those are a couple of the, of the communities um, or, or PLNs that I might kind of reference. There, there are also other ones, you know, I think that, uh, that have, many of them really that exist out there from networking through various events, leadership events that occur. Um, I was just recently presenting with two colleagues, two of my colleagues, and I just presented on anti-racism work and leadership at a um, statewide leadership conference for uh, assistant elementary and secondary principals. And there's all kinds of wonderful connection and conversation that came out of just that opportunity um, that led to other opportunities that led to sharing of resources and, and ideas. So I think if you put yourself out there into the universe with good intention, right? If you put yourself out there in the universe, again, heart leading, the universe kind of rests its hands gently on your shoulders in loving ways and says, we've got you out here cosmically as well. We're going to send you forward and send people to you. That's fantastic and and a great explanation of the PLN type of networking because I and I like how you approach that with the network piece and not so much the professional learning because that comes along if you're networking with the right people. Agreed. Um, and and the idea of community and 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 mentorship is is absolutely fantastic. One one thing that I notice that you keep going back to in our discussion is the idea that if you put it out there, things are going to work for you. If, if you put it out there and you try and join and, and help other people out or get into those groups and you do it in an authentic, meaningful way uh, with, you know, with a positive um, attitude or aspect towards it, then things, things are going to come your way and, and things are going to work out for you. I also think when that, when that happens, it's, it's, it's difficult for a lot of leaders. I see a lot of leaders struggle with the idea that of putting themselves out there because they might not have the answer. And I, I noticed that that really becomes a roadblock for leaders. So hopefully listening to this and, and the spreading of your word through your book, that, that leaders realize it's not about having all the answers. It's about being able to, to open up that network where you, you can get them if you need them. I love not having all the answers myself. Right? <laughs> and, <laughs> right. And I'm a person who has a lot of not having the answers. And I think <laughs> having the questions is a much more beautiful thing. Because it leads you, you know, it, it taps into you, uh, you know, as a child, like your curiosity, your imagination, your willingness to risk to adventure in the world. And, and I mean, isn't like, isn't that what learning's about? Curiosity, imagination, risk taking, digging in deep, searching, you know, like some kind of, um, you know, archaeologist mining through all the layers of, of possibility. Like I, I can't imagine that, you know, 
people get get stopped, get roadblocked by that. But I know it happens. And, and I've certainly been there myself at times, just like teachers sometimes, uh, you know, become fearful or, or nervous around evaluations or sharing, you know, materials because there's some kind of secret, sacredly guarded thing. But, you know, I think in our work as leaders, the more, the better we can help families and students and our staffs really ask us to say, I, I don't have even half the answers, but I know they're all there. And between all of us talking about the best ways to support school communities in the world that we're in now, in the world that our children are embracing moving forward, we will come to answers, lots of different kinds and solutions. And, there, and there's, this is ever evolving. So there's not one, you know, right one that's going to work. It's going to, there are going to be so many solutions and ideas out there. They're going to fit situations as they, as, as they are fluid and move, depending on the, everything from the grade level to the situation, to the, you know, the type of school and community, et cetera. So I think um, the questions, the questions are always where it's at. Absolutely. I would agree with you 100% on that. And now speaking of questions and answers, we're getting to the end and I have two questions that I ask every guest that comes on this podcast. And I, I'm pretty sure yours are going to be um, fairly interesting. So the first one's about you and the second one's about everybody else listening to this. The first one, if you were not a leader, who, not what would you be and why? So I, and thinking about that, that's a, that's a big one, Chris. I like it. That's, that's a little on the deep side. No, I'm, I, I appreciate those. I think that kind of reflection is, is critical for any, any real growth. So, you know, I'd be me as best as I could be. I'll start off by saying that. Deeply fallible, hypersensitive and hyper-emotional, hyper-emotional passionate about collaborating with, with, with children and, and parents and, 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 and teachers in order to be like a better person first and then a, a leader, educator second. Um, I, I mean, I'd still be a dad to six amazing heart leaders. Uh, I'd still be a, a, a husband who's blessed with an amazing compass in my life, my, my wife, Christy. I'd be a servant. You know, kind of, I, I described a servant without a kingdom to serve, I think, a bit of drift because I've spent the better part of my entire life in, in the service of students. But I'd be a, a servant without a kingdom uh, waiting for the, <laughs> the next one to rise to, to meet the call, I guess. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I'm avoiding the what would I be and just trying to live in the, 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 the conceptual who place. No, and you're doing a fantastic job. I don't even <laughs> want to talk after that. That was, you know, you talk about a deep question. What about a deep answer? A, a servant, what was it? A servant with no kingdom to serve? Right. Is that what you said? Yeah, that's... Yes, sir. <laughs> man. Okay, well, I guess I'll, I'll move on to the other question. <laughs> uh, this one is for everybody listening to this. And this is where you give them that golden nugget, that, uh, that piece of information that they walk away with. What's the most important piece of advice you would give to leaders as they work to support, engage, and empower their teachers? I think I'd start by saying never give up on them. And there's some multifaceted, I think, pieces that connect to that. Never give up on them. I'd say first, you have far more responsibility than you do power as an administrator. So you need to check yourself and remember that you're as much a human being as they are. And they need people to fight, advocate, and believe in them and their processes. And so never give up on them. And the way 
to do that is to continue to lead in love, to to check yourself daily. If you're like me, a, a white male, to check your privilege daily, your understandings of privilege, to continue to enter the work in anti-racist and culturally responsive ways. That's how you never give up on your communities of color, your indigenous families and staff, that you never give up on them by being your own authentic self and being very um, open and honest and, as you mentioned, vulnerable about that. And they, in turn, will learn to share theirs with you. Um, never giving up on them is really about creating sustainable, compassionate relationships that will survive them remaining at your school, being transferred, moving on to other better fits for them. Because no matter what happens at the end of the day, you've shown love and shared love in a way that's truly authentic and truly human and lets them know that wherever they go, whatever they're a part of, that there's another human being who was willing to love and believe in them in that way, whether things were really happy and going great or things were really, really difficult. And I am going to leave it at that. I don't even want to touch what you just said with anything else. That um, That's absolutely fantastic. And that, my friend, shows why you are a heart leader, right down to your core. So that's excellent. I can't imagine... I can't imagine somebody listening to this not wanting to get in touch with you or hear more from you. So I would just ask, and I'll put a bunch of stuff in the show notes about you. I would just ask, um, what's the best way to reach you? Thank you. And thank you for what you said. I'm grateful for it and, and really appreciate the opportunity. Thanks for all you do with this with this podcast. I mean, I'm grateful. I'm in this platform and in this space now, thanks to Codebreaker and Brian Aspinall and Daphne McMenemy. So I'm, I'm really grateful to them to help me even be here. But you can reach me at, um, you know, on Twitter is an easy way at, at um, capital M, capital J Bowerman, uh, B-O-W-E-R-M-A-N at Matt, MJ Bowerman. Um, you can email me anytime. It's uh, Matthew J Bowerman um, at gmail.com. Those are probably two of the quickest. My website's www.matthewjbowerman.com. So any of those, I'd be happy to engage anyone at any time. That's excellent. And you know, that kind of feeds right into what you were saying about that whole that whole community piece because Brian Aspinall, Daphne McMenemy, they I, I'm working with them as well, putting out a book on this very topic. And um a lot of the stuff that you've said makes me want to get in touch with you. And maybe each of us should do our next one together. <laughs> Love it. We're on the same page with a lot of stuff. So I look, I um I'm I'm really thankful that you came on. It's people like you that'll make people want to listen to this and, and get the message out to more leaders that it is all right, the whole empathy piece, to ask questions, to be vulnerable, to support teachers. So thank you very much. I'm sure people are going to love this episode. I appreciate you coming on. Thank you so much. Well, that's a wrap, but not the end. Next step, be sure to take action on something you heard here today. Thanks for listening to the Scene to Lead podcast. If you'd like to connect for any reason, email me at drchrissj at gmail.com or catch me on Twitter at drcsjones. If you've gotten any value from the Scene to Lead podcast, you can help me and other leaders create a world-class environment through a teacher-centric approach by subscribing to the show, leaving an honest rating and review, and sharing this episode on social media with your most valuable takeaway. Learn more at drcsjones.blog. Continue to improve and go have a successful week. Thank you.